Hello and welcome back here to the Under Pressure Podcast. We've got a jammed pack show today with Essendon, Collingwood, the Melbourne Ruck situation and a whole lot more from rugby league to netball to a little bit of cricket at the end. And joining me to discuss all that and a whole lot more, Jake Barker, welcome back. Thanks, Matt. I do do off the top have to have to apologise as well. I, I I did end up releasing last week's podcast a little bit late. It was only released on Tuesday, but this one will be released on the Thursday, the twentieth of August. So apologies for that. We're back into it this week, though. Yes, yes, we are, and we're going to start off with probably the moment of the year, one of the great goals of the year. The uh, Jack Nunes goal after the siren to win Carlton, one of their first games in a long time, I'm guessing, in Perth. Yes, it was uh, a bit of a controversial goal. There's been a lot, lot made of it after after the kick, and a lot happening, and a lot, a lot of what happened before the actual kick itself, with um, Sam Doherty kicking it down into the forward line, kicking it out in the full, but. A, down, a downfield free kick because Andrew Brayshaw had run into him. Just just to let you know, I did a bit of quotation marks there. Run into him trying to smother and he's kicked it out on the foot. But the free kick was relayed and Jack Nunes took the shot and kicked it on the siren. And it was a ripping goal. If you haven't seen it, definitely take a look at it. But I have heard that it actually shouldn't have been relay down the field because it wasn't an advantage to the team. If it's if the kick is out on the full, the ball has to be brought back from where it was kicked from and that wouldn't have given Carlton enough time. So that's where the controversy starts with, with the kick, but can't take away from the kick. The kick was brilliant. He absolutely flushed a wet ball and it went straight through the middle. I think, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think personally having been in a situation where the umpires have impacted uh, one of my team's uh, games earlier in the year, you just sort of have to cough it on the chin. I think the umpire umpiring does sort of work in circles and roundabouts. So you might benefit this week, but you might lose next, next week. And I think Carlton have been a bit unlucky at times this year with a few umpiring decisions. So it was sort of probably their turn to get one to go their way. But full credit to the way Fremantle have handled it in the wash-up, though, they haven't really been hugely bitter in the media, and I, I think that deserves a lot of credit and shows a lot about the character that Longmuir's men have got moving forward. But we're going to actually start off with Essendon, and each week I'm getting more and more unsure with Essendon. I think they've got problems that stem from a recruiting issue to a whole list of ideas. So where do you think Essendon are at, Jake? They're obviously sitting mid-table, obviously, with that game game behind it because uh, themselves in Melbourne didn't get that game game through in round three or four. It was, I think, one of those rounds. I believe Essendon's, just like a lot of clubs this year, is struggling to kick, kick a score because they don't really have a forward line. So they, they lost 68 to 33 to the Saints and they now currently sit with five and a half wins from their 11 matches and a dismal percentage of 86%. I don't see them making finals. Statistically, they're almost out of the finals race with only a 3% chance to make the top eight at the moment. And I don't trust them. And I I think 
if you go back to, I think, our first podcast, even, I said, I said the issues with Essendon started with the recruiting really for the last couple of years. They've recruited as a team that they believe that's in the window, getting the big ticket recruits of Smith, Saad, Shield, and quite a few others that are big name approaches. And you think, oh, yeah, they're just topping the, the cream or the, getting the, what's the, that expression? They're trying to just get the finishing touches to the list. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm shocking with expressions and I can't think of it right now. Cream of the Cream of the crop. That's what I was trying to say. They just haven't been able to gel and you add into the count. They've sort of recruited the same year after year, but they haven't really corrected the issue. And then you've got a coaching succession plan that just seemed rushed. I don't get Essendon and I haven't for a while. I thought the restart might've actually worked for them initially, given they'd be able to get a fit list, but that still hasn't helped. I've got huge concerns over Essendon. I think, like I said last week with Hawthorne, they're one of the further sides from Premiership in the competition. Yeah, and I've seen with the, with the coaching a bit as of late, Ben Rutten's actually doing most of the coaching on game day. John Worsfold does all the, obviously has to do all the media and, and media outlets and things like that. But on game day, Ben Rutten's doing doing most of the work. So is that a little is that a little bit of a concern going forward or does he just not have the right pieces at the moment? From listening to Wusher and I think it was Xavier Campbell in the media over the course of the year, the year that was always the plan was for um, for Ben Rutten to do more coaching and more of the game day stuff as the year went on. But my concern is with Essendon is it doesn't look any different. And I know it's hard to make wholesale changes when the guy you're succeeding is still in the seat next to you, but they seem to be the same old almost dull Essendon that we've seen of late. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And I think they're plateauing and I think they've hit their peak for this year, I think. Yeah, and they also they also did bring in a big coach into the sides last year with Blake Carousella, who came in from the Richmond Footy Club, who has been credited as the mastermind of their game plan at Richmond in the years prior. And that hasn't it looked like in the first few rounds of the, the restart that he had brought some of that chaos-style footy to, to Essendon. But I haven't seen anything of that of late. And coaching adjustment like that, you would have thought you would have got more results than you would have by now than, that, than they have. Yeah, well, he certainly, he certainly is a very, very credible coach. You saw how good, how good Richmond was over, over the past three years. And it was a great pickup by Essendon to get, to get him to the club that he once played for as well. But something something hasn't quite clicked. Whether they don't have the right pieces at the moment is is a big is a big issue. But I think if you give them a proper season, maybe they might be able to turn it around. So we'll have to see. You, you say you're saying that they're missing some pieces, and we did a bit of a, a list the the pieces that mi- they're missing, and we agreed that they're missing a key forward, a small forward, a big bodied mid, key defender, and a ruckman. My question is given that they've done some big recruiting of the last year to really almost finish that list, how could you still leave yourself exposed with no place in those positions? Personally, I actually don't think they need too much in defence. I think they've got a really good defence. The issues are in, in their forward line and, and as a ruckman. Bell Chambers has been a great ruckman in the past. They've decided it over the last couple of weeks. They've blooded... Uh, youngster Sam Draper, 
who who had big props on him early on in his career. I believe St Kilda offered offered him a ridiculous deal, but he decided to uh, sign with Essendon. But that's really besides Phillips as well. That, that's their ruck stocks. You got two elder statesmen and you have got a really young guy. They're they're missing that that key. They're missing that key guy in the middle there. That's in the prime. I know it's hard to pick up a ruckman in the prime of his career. I think that's what they're missing. Someone who can feed the ball to them. And I know sometimes it doesn't always work. At the moment, the dogs are relishing with English, Tom English, Tim English, sorry, Tim English, playing some really good football for them, getting the ball to them. Obviously, Brody Grundy is very good at getting getting the ball to his mids as well. So I think they're missing that that Ruckman that can, that can dish it to them. But then obviously, with Joe Danaher not being there, they're missing that, that key post in the forward line to... To target. I can, yeah, I can sort of forgive the the key forward sort of issue given that Danaher's injured, but they could have almost started to rectify that problem by trading Danaher last year. And remember, they delisted Mitch Brown at the end of the year. Not obviously, he's an he's not a number one key forward, but he's someone that can definitely play a role. I still don't get why they delisted him. If if I was Essendon, I would almost have at the top of my um to go for list at the end of the year would be Braden Proust. That's probably the perfect perfect fit for them. He's, he's a seasoned Ruckman, hasn't had much of an opportunity because he's played behind arguably the two best Ruckman at that point in time. When he was behind Goldstein, Goldstein was dominating and now he's behind Gorn who's absolutely dominating this year. So he's not going to get a game and he has got a game and managed to get injured at the same time. So he's having a rough, rough run of it. But as you said, Essendon would be a perfect fit for him. Essendon would probably ha- will have to give something up given that he is under contract for next year. I'd probably say a early third round pick would get the trade done. Maybe a late second round. I'd say that would be about the mark for Braden Proust. Yeah, yeah, I probably probably think you're right. Probably that mid third round. I think for he's not a young yeah. ruckman, but he's that middle aged ruckman. But yeah, I, I'd say about a and round. and given Essendon are probably going to finish in the bottom eight, I'd say their third round pick whatever that tends to be, would be about right. I can't think of, off the top of my head, um, the trade restrictions that they had that from trading last year. My next question for you is, Jake, why did they go Ben Rutten last year? I still... I remember that press conference where he was announced as the soon-to-be senior coach, and it still doesn't get me as a succession plan. Uh, you look at succession plans in the past, not many have actually succeeded in the sense of the one at Collingwood was a catastrophic mistake. I think you could say that the one at Melbourne so far has got pass marks given that since that transition, Melbourne have made a preliminary final. And that one was more, you had to get the top line coach in to fix the whole club up at first. And then he didn't want to do it long term. So you obviously had to get someone in to take over long term. So I, I think that one worked, and I think the one at Sydney worked, but I still don't get the Ben Rutten one. Yeah, I can certainly agree with you that that Collingwood one was a bit bit shaky. Obviously, Bucks has made a bit of a name for himself now, but certainly that succession plan didn't go down very well. Yeah, with, with the Melbourne one, I, I think yeah, pass marks probably about right, and Sydney don't know, don't know. I personally don't know too much about that one, but in terms of I can't. I, I was trying to think of that one a lot today and I haven't actually had the time to do the research. But yeah, it, that's the only one that comes up to me as another one that's similar to the SNM one where 
Longmire was at the club while Ruse was coach, and then they decided while he was at the club, let's make you the long-term option. I just can't remember all the other bits of detail around that one. In terms of my opinion with the, the Essendon one, I feel like I haven't heard a, a coach that's going to be taking over take as much reins as what Rutten is at the moment because he's taking care of a lot of the game. Being in the co- being in the coach's box, being the main main guy when Wush is sitting in in the dugout with the players and things like that. So maybe that's affecting. I'm going to use I'm going to use the the Ruse Goodwin example purely because it's a the most recent and also as a Melbourne supporter, I was following it very closely. I remember in the pre seasons, Goodwin did take charge of the team in the pre season, and then it reverted back to Ruse. I think that was when we were playing three preseason games a year and uh, Goody would take the first two and then Ruzi would take the last one. And that that worked. And I remember in the last year, Goody was sort of, it was almost co-coach. Like they both had an equal input and there were even, as silly as it sounds, there were Melbourne supporters that wanted Ruzi to go mid-year. They just wanted Goody to take over. But I don't get it and I don't see what, it seemed a very looking from the outside, a very rushed decision for Essendon to appoint Rutten. It, it was like, no one's talking about no one's talking about it. Ben Rutten will be the senior coach at Essendon. Yeah, it did, did get sprung up out of, a bit out of nowhere, but I guess that's, that's the beauty of AFL these days. You, you never know what's going to happen. And I think we'll get a better idea of what's going to happen next year. I think this year is a bit harder to, to discuss. Yeah. But in the end, I think we'll see what Rutten's capable of with hopefully what is a, a full Essen side at his disposal. Yeah, and the other thing I do want to add, um, Kane Corns alerted us to this a few weeks ago, but he, he ha- Ben Rutten hasn't seen the most inspirational coach. He was presenting a, um, one of uh, Essen's first, um, um, an Essen debutant, a jumper, and it was just like, and we're going to give the jumper to, insert name here, it was just, it wasn't, the way if I was playing football, I would have liked to have my celebrated debut. I think I had a, I think when I was announced to play my first game of cricket in, in 14 years at the uh, local cricket club in the uh, lowest grade of team that they had at the club, I felt like that was a more special moment than what that player did to get his debut for Essendon. Harsh, but I, it, that's my honest opinion. So moving on from Essendon, it's actually the team that lost to Melbourne on the weekend, Collingwood. From almost been a lock to finish top two to now only having a... Sorry, I've just lost my uh, stat. To now only having a 29% chance of making the top eight and a 1% chance of making the top four. Well, you can certainly certainly kiss top four goodbye. They're, they're, not, making, they're not making the top four without a forward line and being able to score. They're, they, they're really struggling to, to put any type of score on the board at the moment. And now with a serious, what was a serious head knock to Brody Marchek last, last weekend, it looked terrifying. I'm, I'm shocked to think that he's still in frame for selection this week. I am shocked. Yeah, well, he's got nine days in between both, in, in between last, last week and, and then their current game. But I wouldn't be surprised if he was to sit this one out next week. And then that doesn't give them a whole lot to, to kick towards next week. They're going to have to bring in another ruck or possibly bring it, bring, bring back Mason Cox and sit him in the forward line. Who, like, he, he hasn't played the best over the last few 
few weeks, but just sit him down there. See what he can do. See if he can clunk a few marks and kick a few goals. They need just someone sitting down there kicking, being able to kick to. They've got no one to kick yeah. to at the moment, which is their issue. Because And the other thing that, and I think, yeah, as you were about to say, their backbone's good. But what I was also going to say is you look back, was that what you were going to say? Yeah. So we're just the delay in Zoom communication got us there. The thing I was going to say is you look back at Richmond last year when they had all those injuries at the start of the year, they brought other plays in and they were as a unit and as a team had such great synergy that they were able to continue through. Whereas you look at Collingwood now, they've probably got a similar, maybe even slightly less injuries to Richmond last year to probably the same amount of number of key position, key players but they're not actually able to wear the loss. And it's starting to seem that those missing players are starting to really take too much out of Collingwood. Yeah, no, I can certainly, I can certainly see that. And it's certainly not going to get, not going to get any easier this week. They are playing, they are playing North, which is a big game. They have a very young forward line North, so they might be struggling to put a bit of a score on the board. They had a good game against Brisbane last weekend, only going down by a point. So, They'll they'll be they'll be wanting a win North Melbourne, so the pressure's really on Collingwood to to kick a score next weekend. They've got to get to sixty or seventy if they if they're going to have a win, and they're just not doing that at the moment. No, and it's just it just I don't know how to say it, but it just feels like even if they do get Jeremy Howe, Jordan Degoe back, it might be too late. I think the benefit for Collingwood is that draw in round two against Richmond. That can get them... I think they can... So they're on six wins at the moment. I think they can halve their remaining three. And that should get them to nine and a half. And that should be good enough. But if they drop one of those three that they should win, they're in trouble. Big trouble. Because yeah. eight and a half's not going to do it. I think nine, if you've got a good percentage, you'll do it. But eight and a half just won't cut it. And I, I, I've got really big fears over Essendon. Uh, sorry, Collingwood. I do have fears over Essen, but we're talking about Collingwood now. But I think Collingwood, even if they do miss the eight, it's going to be a huge story. But I think it's just going to be one that, at the end of the day, the club will, Eddie Maguire will come out and say, we don't really want to miss finals. We're a big club. We expect to play finals. But it's a difficult year. We've had a horrid run with injuries. We back Buckley in 100%. And we know we can bounce back next year. Yeah, and I think that's just the way it's it's going to have to be for this season, and it's it's definitely possible they can split their last their, their last few, which which would get them enough, and that draws certainly going to help, as you said. Now there is one more team that you wanted to to take a look at. Yeah, I just I on. just briefly wanted to talk about Melbourne. I think it's pretty fair to say last weekend we were probably saying they've got the best injury list in the competition. No injuries. Okay, yes, they've lost Jackson, who's a first year player, who's still making it. The captain was out injured in Max Scorn. And I think the only other long-term injury list of substance is Cade Colin Jasney, who hasn't really played since coming from the uh, Suns. And they're managing their players really well with uh, Darren Burgess, who I think is doing a really good job at the moment and is not getting the credit that he deserves, given that Melbourne are the probably the best-performing team after halftime in the competition in their last three games, they've scored over 120 points in the last half and only conceded, I think it was like 24, 25 points. So they're dominating the second half, which is a very pleasing aspect to see in the, the back end of the season, which is a, a side point. But they've now potentially lost Braden Proust as well, 
Both Gorn and Proust are both chances to play this week, but they've essentially lost their entire ruck department for selection, which is a bit of a problem. They might be completely fine in every other category in the ground, but they're not great in the ruck. Yeah, it's very interesting. They've got, obviously... Mitch Brown, who's come over from Essendon, who won't obviously play ruck, but he might he might do the, the forward line ruck job if they need, because you've always got the, the key forward that, that jumps in the ruck every now and then. They've got I think, Tom McDonald as well, who could come yeah, in and do yeah, a job. Which is, uh, I, I've been pretty critical of Tom McDonald this year. I thought he actually had his... I don't, know, I don't think he got many goals. If he did get a goal on the weekend, I'm just double-checking... But he will have if if Bruce gone uh, unavailable, he'll have to play up up for um up in the ruck. No, he didn't get a goal on the weekend. Oh no, he did get a goal on the weekend. I do apologise. But he, what he did well on the weekend was putting a ball up in positions where one of the Melbourne small forwards could actually take advantage of the ball. Charlie Spargo had a field day with three goals. But that was one thing he did well, which I do want to give him credit because I've been whacking him all year. But he'll have to play ruck. And you you suggested Mitch Brown playing the second ruck. I'd almost play James Harms as the second ruck. It's, it'll seem odd. Um, but that's what I would do. He's... Harmsy I, I, hasn't had a great... twenty Didn't have a great 2019. He's not having a great 2020. Either I think he does need to go back to that tagger role that he dominated in the uh, the twenty eighteen final series, but um, something a bit different. Just Melbourne are going to lose the ruck contest regardless this weekend. Tim English is one of the informed rucks in the competition, potentially probably even the most improved ruckman in the game. But except that you're going to lose a contest and put him in there. See if that getting closer to the footy could just help build his confidence up a bit. Very Richmond style as well. Yeah, no, I was very yeah, I was I was going to say that exact point just then. They're going back to a bit of a, a Richmond style there, but you never know. Like these things, they might work. You know, like you just you just don't know. It gives you extra extra mid around the ball and a bit of speed out from the contest could could really help Melbourne. So who knows? It's a bit but of an I, out there point, but, but you, you never know. But with McDonald playing in the ruck, I would have Mitch Brown to make his debut for Melbourne this weekend if those all the ruckmen are out. Now, Jake, you I hear wanted to talk to a bit about uh, the netball at the moment. Yeah, it has has kicked off the the SunCorp Super Netball season has is is in full flight at the moment. They they are playing both on the weekend and during the week as well, sort of having their own little little frenzy they're playing on a Saturday and a Sunday and then they're playing on a Tuesday and a Wednesday night as well and then backing up the next weekend they're doing a bit of a rolling fixture at the moment like the AFL so they're releasing a few fixtures every every three weeks I think they've they've just released the next next allotment I believe which is the the seven round seven eight and nine fixture so that's really good it's it's up in full flight there's a there's a couple of games on tonight there were a couple of games on last night it's really really good to see the the point that i did want to did want to make and i know there's been a lot of a few people have been getting annoyed at me uh one being 
my wife being annoyed that I keep mentioning this a certain rule that's been brought in this year, and it's the, and it's the two-point shot. I'm, I'm sick of the two-point shot. I really dislike it. So for those of you who don't know, the super shot is a new rule brought in. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and it's a two-point. You get two points in the last five minutes of each quarter. So it provides the goal attacks and goal shooters being able to score in about a, about a two-meter designated zone within the circle, and as I said, active in the last five minutes. Personally, I think it is way too close. If if you have it at all, I think it's personally way too close. I believe it's affecting a lot of games as well. My team, the Sunshine Coast Lightning, got very lucky in the first round. The two-point shot was uh, introduced because if, if it wasn't, they would have lost in round one quite easy. They played one quarter or one five-minute period and they just shot two-pointers and ended up winning by 10 to 15 goals, which, which they wouldn't have if this two-point shot wasn't introduced. But you find players hey, in can- could I just interrupt and I just ask you a quick question here? Would you still be happy with the rule if the line was further back? I'm a bit of a, a bit of a traditionalist in all sports, as everybody knows, and I, I, I really would, I personally wouldn't have it. The only reason, the only reason is there's other forms of the game that actually have this shot as well. We don't need to bring it into the actual, actual game of netball. They've got another, they've got another competition, which is played for internationally which is called the fast five where they have five players play on the court and there are two-point shots goals are worth double in certain quarters so i think i think it should just be left to that and the actual game should be left alone i've harped on it i've harped on it long and long and long enough and it's not going to change this season so i just have to get used to it but if they do if they do keep it for next year i really hope it's moved back because it's it's very very it's a very very short shot for experienced shooters, and it's it's definitely changing the game. And if you ask a lot of people, it's definitely changed the game a lot. Some some for the good. I know heaps of people do enjoy the two point shot, but I know heaps of people that don't enjoy it at all. It's not it's it's not traditional. So that that's my little rant on on a bit of on a bit of netball this week, and hopefully. Next season, it is it is changed a little bit, and I don't, and hopefully, it doesn't change too many games in the course of this season. Otherwise, you might hear me rant on the podcast again this season. But moving on from that, Matt, something that he wants to talk about to do with the Formula One. I know there's a couple of stories and things that you want to mention this week. Yeah, so just quickly, obviously, Lewis Hamilton leads the championship after winning at Spain over the weekend. But we're just looking at the uh, final couple of races. It's been reported that we, so far, it's been published that we knew the next up to, up to race 13 of the calendar. We still don't know what's happening after race 13, which is in Imola in Italy. But it looks like they're going to be returning to Istanbul Park in Turkey for race 14. Uh, then do the traditional race circuit of, Bar- of the Bahrain International Circuit. Then they're going to hopefully do, which still, once again, none of this has been confirmed, uh, do the Bahrain Outer Circuit, which is the almost oval circuit I spoke about a few months ago, which I think would be a really exciting race and something very different to the normal Formula One race week weekend. And then finishing off with race 17 at Abu Dhabi at the Yas Marina Circuit for the traditional season finale. A bit later this year, 
uh, finishing in on December 13th. Normally, it would be finishing around mid-November, so it's a whole month later. I think it's a great job that Formula One have been able to squeeze 17 race, potentially 17 race weekends into the calendar. And I think if you said this when the Australian Grand Prix got um, postponed at the start of the year, if you said to me that there would be 17 F1 races this year, I would have said you're dreaming. And I think they've done a great job in heaps of areas, Formula One, from being a COVID-safe sport with obviously face masks being mandatory. You've got to wear, um, have multiple COVID, I think it's one COVID test every four days and then one just before you enter a race weekend. And when you can remember, this is a sport that travels all over the world and the interaction that people have all over the world, it's a fabulous achievement to think of how COVID state it is. And I think it's been the best performing sport during the COVID era. But also racing point, the pink Mercedes. Um, We got a a result in that case, which racing point have already appealed. They have been penalised 15 championship points, only in the constructors championship. The drivers don't lose any points in the drivers championship. And they've also had, I think, a a 600,000 pound fine. Not only have they appealed the case, Renault have appealed the case because they don't think the penalty is harsh enough. So they're calling for every race that they've been participated in to be disqualified in. And a few other teams, including Ferrari, are also appealing the verdict, which is going to be a very interesting story to continue over the course of the year. For those that don't know where you finish in the championship, depends on how much money you get back. So the higher you finish, the more money you get. There's also some other areas where some teams like Ferrari get a huge bonus for being Ferrari, but in the championship fight, it's the money is weighted on results. So people are starting to say Renault are only challenging this concept to give them a better chance of beating Racing Point in the Constructors' Championship, which to the naked eye does look about pretty fair, but it's I don't think it's great that you've got teams appealing for that reason. I think the concept of appealing because you're unsure about the rule, fine. But if they're appealing for points, that doesn't really make me happy. But to be honest, they're appealing. We're not going to stop them. So let's see what happens. Now, Jake, you wanted to finish off with a story in the NRL. Yeah, I did, actually. It's, it's just a very, very quick little NRL segment this week. And I, I didn't have anything on on the NRL for this week, but it came up on the weekend, and I felt like I had to had to bring it up. There was a game on the weekend between the New Zealand Warriors and the Gold Coast Titans, and just normal game going about as is. And during a tackle, the play with the ball, it was actually seen to have been biting the player that was tackling them obviously trying to get them off them to then play the ball. And, and it was, and it was really, really interesting. So the, the, guy, the player in question was, was Kevin Proctor and they had to have a look on the replay whether, whether it actually happened. And the funny thing is, he's, he was caught for fighting during the game and, and rightfully sent off, which the NRL has since backed up the referees and, and all that. So that, that's really good. But on, on, on the ground... The, the the player who he actually bit was one of his New Zealand teammates, 
from when they play against Australia and England and all that. Uh, Sean Johnson, who plays for the uh, New Zealand Warriors, and he didn't want them to to proceed with it. He thought there was nothing of it, but it was it was really it was really interesting to see that the op- the opposition player was so like nah 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 it's all right it's all good no worries but you, you can't just be defending uh, he must they must be really good mates but you can't be just defending your mates like that if if, if they do something bad they've, they've got to go for it and since that Proctor's actually got a four week ban cause cause of this binding and that's pretty much the rest of his season done. Jake, and is that a more serious penalty given the current COVID climate? Just out of curiosity. I don't know if, if the penalty would be any steeper if it was a non-COVID season. I believe they've just given a penalty on what they've thought this particular offence would be warranted. They haven't taken haven't taken into, into account that there's not going to be as many games this season. But they've They've given him the four games and he's not going to play for the next month. And that's, that's really going to hurt them because he's a very, he's a veteran player for the, for the Gold, Gold Coast Titans and, and they're definitely going to miss him over the next month. Though they're not in, in finals contention really anymore, it's, it's certainly not a, not a good look and not something you want to see on, on an NRL field. I know the AFL had one not long ago. I can't remember who it was. Can you remember who that was, Matt? No, but I can remember that there have been some biting incidents um, at international level in the soccer, actually. I'm pretty sure at a World Cup with uh, Luis Suarez. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things, you, you wonder what goes, what goes through players' heads that they feel like they need to, to bite another player in, 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 another, in a game of whatever they're playing. It just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem right. So I feel like, Four weeks is is definitely warranted. It was uh, Connor McKenna. It was Connor McKenna of Essendon that was uh, allegedly charged with the misconduct for biting. Ah, uh, that's right. I do. I do remember that. I do remember re- that story actually. He received a three game three game ban. I'm just trying to remember who he bit. Okay, I'm just so doing a bit of research with the show. Yeah. So they're sort of, they're keeping... uh, for Bulldogs forward Tory Dixon. Yeah, so they're sort of keeping keeping the three four mark, three four game mark around that round each code. So I think it's the right a right right amount of weeks, and certainly something that definitely shouldn't be in any part any of the sport game. whatsoever. Any part of any no. sport. It's just it's just dumb. It's stupid, and certainly from a veteran player. So I hope he learns from it, and I hope I hope Sean Johnson learns from it. A little bit as well, actually. Even though he was the one being bitten, he's got to realise that that's not a good look for the game, and he has got to be putting the game first over his his. Because the thing is, you don't want him. He don't want him to get off, get off, and then you see kids doing it at a kids' sport. Well, yeah, and 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 if it's exactly right, and if he he's saying it's 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 all good, it's all good, then you're exactly right. It's only gonna it's only gonna go down a bad bad line, and. I'm glad they've done what they've done. So that, that's enough. That's enough on the on the NRL this week. Unfortunately, it's not too positive, but those two are cert- certainly under pressure. And that will actually do us again for another episode on the Under Pressure Podcast. If you would like to listen to our show, remember it's available on any chosen platform, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Google Podcasting, as well as the Podbean app. But thank you for listening again, and we'll see you on the next. Mm-hmm.